Well, once again, I'm Mike Bechtel. I'm the youth pastor here at Crossview Covenant Church, and it is great to be with you here this morning. I just want to take a second, uh, as kickoff is upon us, as Jessica had said earlier, want to invite you to use uh, this next couple weeks as an opportunity for evangelism. And I say that because with the new year beginning and everybody's trying to figure out what their new routines are going to be like, it's a great opportunity to invite the people where you do life. So your, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people you meet at the coffee shop, all those places. It's a great opportunity to invite them to come and be a part of Crossview. Come check it out. Come see what's going on here. Especially for those who uh, haven't been in the church for a while or maybe have never stepped foot in the church. It's a great opportunity because we are going to literally dedicate our whole year to seeing God's big picture of what God has done uh, through, uh, through the books of Genesis and Exodus and all the way up to what God is going to be doing in the days to come. So I invite you to uh, use that opportunity and to invite those where you do life to come and be a part of something bigger this year. So we are wrapping up the sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit this morning, and it's been a good journey as we've been digging into Galatians 5 and dwelling on the reality of what living by the Spirit creates in us. And today we find ourselves at the end, the last of the fruit uh, that Paul mentions here. And so before we dig in, let me pray. So Father God, we come before you now as we dig into your word. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us uh, and give us a listening ear that we uh, can continue to follow you as best as we can. In your name, amen. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We are going to read one last time uh, the passage for our sermon series. Uh, So Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to be reading out of the NLT version. So Galatians 5, verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So let's be honest and recognize that self-control isn't really a fun characteristic to talk about. I mean, not only because all around us we see many times where there is a lack of self-control, which is an obvious issue, and we'll come back to that in a minute, but then there's all that good stuff that uh, we have to exercise self-control. We feel like we're limiting ourselves or restricting ourselves. I mean, just think about things like on your wedding day, or maybe you just won the lottery, or maybe you just got behind the wheel of a 1967 Shelby GT500. Self-control should not be in the dictionary at those moments, right? But it is, and self-control is a characteristic that comes out in both the good and the bad. Because self-control is seen as the ability to control the expression of whatever is before you. So whether that is your emotions, your actions, or your words, it's being able to control these things, especially when something is happening in your life uh, right in front of you. So it's having dignity and restraint and discipline in your life. The opposite, which uh, throughout the series we've been talking about the opposite and the counterfeit to help us understand this word better. So the opposite of self-control would be impulsive and indulgence. And many times the idea of YOLO, which is the youth term for you only live once, seize the day, uh, you know, living in the moment. This can all be the opposite of self-control. And then the counterfeit, um, what we believe might be self-control, but really is something else. The, self, the counterfeit of self-control is willpower. 
And there's nothing wrong with willpower, but we have to recognize that willpower is an all-about-me action. Okay? I was able to accomplish this on my own. I had the power to do this. Self-control comes from within, not as an action, but as a characteristic. We naturally are able to control, those, uh, to control ourselves in those moments. So this word self-control in our passage uh, comes out of the Greek word edgratia, and I love this because it's not just about controlling, but it's being the master of control, okay? Having the ability to have complete control over myself, and that's what we see here in this passage. And so um, let's just go ahead and name some obvious places in our own culture where maybe we are not doing so hot at being masters of self-control. I'd say excessive shopping is a big one. I mean, think about the extreme situations that happen on Black Friday where people are pushing and shoving and getting in fights and uh, being herded through gates like cattle, literally getting trampled to death, all for another TV. Where do you think they lost self-control? Another one could be drinking. I mean, think about the handful of passages like Ephesians 5.18 that says, don't be drunk with wine because it'll ruin your life. But the Center of Disease Control released a report that 38 million Americans binge drink four times a month. And likewise, there's approximately 88,000 deaths each year in the U.S. due to excessive alcohol use, making it the third leading cause of death in America. Where do you think they lost self-control? Or how about sex and pornography? I mean, I don't think I need to say a whole lot, but they continue to be the top leading keywords searched online. And then there's all those issues like controlling your anger and gossiping about the latest story and playing with your phone and how we respond when somebody states their view on fill in the blank. Or how about when your kid just won't leave their sister alone for the 20th time, right? Or kids, how about when your sister won't leave you alone for the 20th time? When I think about the self-control issues I face, Uh, the the image that comes to mind is one that I know we are all familiar with. And it is that part of the song where Princess Anna sings, I want to stuff chocolate in my face, right? Anybody else out there with me? I mean, what's not, or what's fun about not getting to eat all that chocolate, right? But let's be honest for a second and recognize that gluttony, especially in a culture of plenty, creates so many problems of self-control issues. Fighting the urge to take all you want instead of only that which you need. And that philosophy digs into many other areas in our lives, such as uh, shopping and drinking and so forth. Now, I don't want you to take this as a guilt trip, but I want us to recognize that self-control is a really hard characteristic to master. It's really hard, especially when it's something we love. I mean, I remember several years ago, one of my relatives loved collecting Beanie Babies. Anybody remember these things years ago? Okay. Um, there was absolutely nothing wrong with collecting things, and especially with these things, because they're just these cute little stuffed animals. Nothing wrong with that. But for my relative, what was intended to be a fun hobby turned into an obsession. And over something so simple and harmless, it was evident that there was no self-control. And through decisions made, money spent, time invested, this simple hobby did much more damage to themselves and their relationships than you would think would be possible. It just goes to show that issues of self-control comes in many forms and it looks different for everybody. 
Now, this Greek word agratia that Paul uses for self-control shows up in other places in Scripture, too, in the New Testament. And, uh, one verse is geared towards the sexual relationship between a husband and wife in 1 Corinthians 7. And another one tells us to prepare for a time when the world will not have self-control in 2 Timothy 3. But then there's a lot of verses that encourage us to be putting into practice self-control. Uh, Titus 2.2, Paul encourages Titus to teach older men to exercise self-control. 1 Timothy 3.2, in regards to elders in the church, Paul is telling uh, them that they must live above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife and exercise self-control. And he goes on, skipping down to verse 11, that in the same way, their wives must be respected and not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. 1 Peter 1.13, Peter writes to the churches in what is present-day Turkey, and he tells them to prepare your minds for actions and exercise self-control. And then finally, 2 Peter 1.5-8, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance. And he goes on to say a little later in that passage that the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are some great passages of this edgratia, this master of control that encourages us to, to be putting into practice self-control. But we need to remember that there's a distinct difference between all these verses that encourage us to practice self-control and our passage in Galatians 5 this morning. And that is verse 22 of Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. It doesn't say your hard work. It doesn't say your self-effort will produce this fruit. It's not something we can just try harder to have more self-control like these other passages encourage. Because for all the fruit, it is evidence that the Spirit is uh, inside of us and through our relationship and connection to Christ, that, uh, that the deeper we press into Christ, the more our character is changing and it reveals this fruit. So what does this mean for us? I mean, if you're sitting there thinking, okay, Mikey wants us to have a little more self-control, well, I just popped that application bubble by saying it doesn't work that way. So now what? Let's note that the list of the fruit of the Spirit isn't the end of the passage. Okay, open up with me again into Galatians 5. Uh, Throughout um, the series, we've visited the passages before the list of the fruit. So let's look at that again. Uh, Verse 19 When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that everyone or anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we have this list of these desires of our sinful nature, okay? The reality is we desire these things, okay? We can't just stop because it's a part of who we are. It's our human sinful nature to desire this. And then it's interesting to note that then he has the list of the fruit of the Spirit, which is pretty much the exact opposite of the desires of our sinful nature. And so we have this constant battle going on inside of us. And then uh, after Paul compares the two, He concludes with this, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every way possible. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. 
So those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to that cross. It's such a beautiful image that the moment that I belong to Christ with all, all these desires of my flesh no longer matter, that while the temptation may never go away, my old nature and the desires of my flesh disappeared on that cross. I gave them up so I could be refilled with the fruit of the Spirit, to be refilled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and be filled knowing that it's coming straight from the Spirit. I want that. That is my new nature. I want to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, but since it comes straight from the Spirit, since it is he who does the work in my life that reveals this fruit, what can I do if I want that? I'm going to have you write down a word, okay? And this word is probably one of the most important words that I feel uh, that we not only struggle with, I know I struggle with, but it is very important to our spiritual walk and even spiritual practices. And so this word I want you to write down is this. Listen. Listen. I want you to listen because Paul's words in verse 25 said, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every way possible. And in order to be led by the Spirit, we have to listen. And that could be the hardest thing we do because that means that it requires uh, our time, our attention, our investment. Three of the most costly things to get from American culture. Okay, Number one reason I hear people who decline everything from volunteering within the community to something simple as cleaning the apps on the background of your phone is I don't have enough time. And they're right. They don't have enough time. Uh, you know, between all the events and chores and meals and trips and career and so on, we have become workaholics at managing our schedule. And it's easy to say, I don't have time, because while it's true, it's easy. You don't have to do anything or change your schedules or figure out how to make it work. But if it's important enough to you, and whatever that may be, if it's important enough to you do, you will figure out how to manage your time to either do both or drop the other thing. All because what is important to us is worthy of our time. So I ask you this, is it important enough of your time to, uh, to listen to where the Spirit is leading you? Whether that's taking time daily to dig through Scripture or to spend time in prayer and silence or to be in a community where you can learn to hear the Spirit's voice, is it important enough to you? Likewise, it's really hard to get our attention nowadays. I mean, between all the nonstop entertainment and social media that's at our fingertips, you think it'd be easier to get it done and then continue on and give attention to other things. But it's not. It's not easier. And then you throw in all the other distractions in life that come our way. We have to learn how to give our attention to other things. Years back, my wife learned that I could not watch TV and have a conversation with her at the exact same time because she would literally have to grab me by the face and say, Mike, listen, right? I know I'm not the only one out there. Um, nowadays, it's gotten easier because I've learned to walk away from the TV or just shut it off altogether to have a conversation. And while that sounds funny, it's a simple illustration that we have to learn and take initiative to do these things. But once again, you'll notice if it's important enough to you, whatever that may be, and my wife was very important to me, whatever it is, if it's important enough to you, you'll figure out how to give it your attention. 
All because what is important to us is worthy of our attention. So I ask, is it important enough for you to give attention towards listening to where the Spirit is leading you? Whether that means you go and find a quiet spot during your week or removing distractions like your phone or quieting your mind of your to-do list to give complete attention to the Spirit. Is it important enough to you? And lastly, it takes something special for us to invest in something. My wife loves the show Shark Tank, where uh, these random people come in and uh, pitch their product, and uh, then these wealthy investors decide whether or not to invest in them, okay? And if you throw out the reasons of greed and making money, which is obviously part of the show, I feel like I've seen two other reasons why these sharks would invest in a product. And the first one is because they believed in it. They thought the product was a great product and was worthy of their investment as well as their time and attention in that. But then also I see sometimes where they had a heart for it. Something in the pitch struck a chord in their heart and they knew that they had to get involved because this would impact someone or something that they cared about. So whatever the reason, whether it's choosing to donate money towards that next youth missions trip or running with Team World Vision this October, if you don't believe in it or have a heart in it, you're really not going to care about it. So I'll ask again, if it's important enough to you, whatever that may be, you'll invest in it, all because what is important to us is worthy of our investment. So is it important enough for you to listen to where the Spirit is leading you? Whether that means trying new things to hear the Spirit, or maybe actually doing what the Spirit is telling you to do for once. Is it important enough? Because I believe we need to learn how to listen. We need to learn how to give of our time, attention, and investment, the three most costly things we can give in our lives to them and learning how to listen the more we can be led by the Spirit. And I tell you this, where the Spirit leads, there's going to be fruit. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this time, Lord. Lord, we pray that you be with us as we go out into our weeks, and Lord, that uh, we can learn to listen and to be led by you, Lord, that uh, we can be released of our desires, of our sinful nature, and that you, uh, in turn, can fill us with the fruit that we can be your people in the world with the fruit dwelling inside of us. So Lord, we love you now in your name. Amen.